Well, good morning. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us today, particularly if you're here for the first time or visiting us. Uh, it's great to have new faces among us, as Zach said. My name's John T. I'm the minister here. Um, uh, I hope you feel at home or as at home as possible, given the circumstances. Um, just to say, if at any point um, children need to escape or you want to escape uh, with children, um, if you head out those doors and turn left, then down the corridor on the end, opposite the kitchen, we've got another room. Um, at the moment, I'm afraid, we're not running sort of staffed uh, Sunday school groups. Um, we'll get those going in about a fortnight, I think it is now. But we have got the room. I'm afraid you have to look after them yourself. Uh, but do head out there anytime if that's useful. Uh, today, though, we're looking at the next bit of 2 Timothy. So if you could find uh, 2 Timothy, either the reading on your sheet, uh, or if you bought a Bible, uh, we're reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll read uh, from verse 14. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Let's hear the Spirit's voice. So Paul, who's an apostle, writing to Timothy. Let me put this up. Zach's too short. Uh, Paul, the apostle, writing to Timothy, uh, who was a minister in God's church. Uh, As for you... Continue in what you've learned and have become firmly and you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped. For every good work. Let's pray once more. Uh, Lord Jesus, you wrote uh, these words. It is your spirit who breathed them out. And we pray, therefore, that uh, that same spirit uh, would breathe them into our souls and minds. Uh, make us men, women, children uh, of your word, we pray. Bless us, we ask. In your own name. Amen. Uh, are you bored yet? Are you bored yet uh, this morning? Uh, what time is it? We're about 20 minutes in, aren't we? Have you begun to drift? Uh, let's say for the sake of argument, you've been totally with it this morning. You're edge of the seat stuff. Can you cast your mind back to a time when you have been bored in a service? Or, dare I say it, in a sermon? For most of us, if we're honest, those times exist. They may exist today. They may exist last week. But they will exist. So imagine another scenario. Okay, a friend, a family member heads off to a conference. Uh, you don't go, but they come back. And when they come back, man, are they excited. You will not guess what happened, they say. And this is your trustworthy Christian friend. Well, what happened, you say? What, what happened? I heard God's voice. I heard it. Audibly, I mean. I heard audibly God's voice. Oh, your friend comes back from church, different church, church, church to you, and says, this morning, the Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. Have you ever experienced that? The, the moving of the Holy Spirit, just knowing the Spirit is speaking to you. 
Well, if, for the sake of argument, you could be cast iron sure, I mean 100% that you were going to be able to go to this conference or go to this church and hear, I mean audibly hear, the voice of God, would you not go? And you'd go expectant, wouldn't you? Excited. You wouldn't go bored. True ministry, Paul tells Timothy, true ministry is full of the Spirit. True ministry is full of the voice of the Spirit, the voice of God. And therefore, true ministry is full of the Scriptures, the Bible. Now, some of you who've been around church for a while, uh, as soon as I started asking those questions, probably had already got to the end of the, the chain. They knew where I was going. Uh, some of you, when I say the voice of the Spirit is in the Bible, are, are somewhat disappointed. There's at least a little bit of you saying, yeah, but wouldn't it have been better if, if we really did hear a kind of booming voice out of the sky this morning? Uh, Paul writes this little part uh, of the letter uh, in the context of persuading Timothy away from one form of ministry and towards another. It's not that Paul just stopped mid-letter and thought, do you know what, Uh, I'm writing to Timothy, but I'll just just do a little doctrine of the Bible section now. No, no, all the, the verses we've just read about Scripture are in the context of persuading Timothy that real spiritual ministry, real ministry that hears the voice of God and hearing the voice of God is essential to church and Christian life. Real ministry is soaked in the scriptures. Last week, or in the passage just before the one we've read, but Paul had said to Timothy, look, you remember my ministry. Uh, You'll see it uh, just in verse 11, if you've got a Bible. We haven't printed it on the service sheet this time, I'm afraid. But in verse 11, you remember what happened to me at Lystra. If you want to see real ministry, remember what happened to me at Lystra. There's real ministry. What happened to Paul at Lystra? He preached the word of God. He was beaten, uh, assumed to be dead by his tormentors, dragged outside the city and logged in a ditch where he lay unconscious. There's true ministry, says Paul. I know there's all these other people like Hymenaeus and Philetus, people we met earlier in 2 Timothy. I know there's all the other people who've got very successful ministries. Their teaching's spreading like wildfire. People love their message, but they've wandered away from the scriptures. So theirs isn't true ministry. They're too popular, too successful. Real ministry is me bleeding in a ditch. How do you know? Because as Paul lies bleeding in a ditch, From his hand falls a scroll. Verse 14. Sorry, 15. You're acquainted with the sacred writings. People didn't write books in those days. They'd they'd write in scrolls. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. If you want to join me, says Paul to Timothy, in the kind of ministry that is authentic, Christ-centered ministry, if you want to join me in the ditch bleeding then keep hold of the scroll. If you want popularity and comfort, drop it. But don't pretend you're serving Christ. So it is the sacred writings, in other words, what we now call the Bible, 
but should drive your ministry, Paul says to Timothy. You know this, in fact, from verse uh, 14. Uh, You know who you learnt this ministry pattern from. I think there he's talking about himself. Paul is saying, you learned ministry from me. But also he's referring back to Timothy's grandma and mum. We read about in in chapter uh, one, Eunice and Lonis. I can never say the name, Eunice and Lonis. We read about earlier in Timothy, rather. But particularly it is the scriptures. So I want to look at three things about the scriptures, the Bible this morning, that are meant to drive Timothy's and, God willing, our ministry. Uh, The first is their spirit spoken. Their spirit spoken. Verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. What do you hear this morning? You say, well, I, I can hear your words. Yes. But, but the reason you can hear my words is because my breath is coming across the room. Okay, bad luck in the days of COVID. But that is what is hitting your ears, isn't it? Uh, I, I'm no physicist. I'm no uh, medic. But somehow as I speak and my tongue wobbles and my lungs go in and out, breath goes across the room. The air vibrates, hits your eardrums, and you're hearing my voice. Scripture is that, but from the Lord God. When you read scripture, when you hear scripture, you are hearing the breath of God, the very word of God. That means straight away, we cannot separate God and his word. Uh, imagine going on a, on a date. Uh, and uh, it's a first date, blind date. You've been set up, you go to the restaurant uh, and you're sat there and uh, your, uh, your new friend tells you all, all about themselves. Oh, you know, I've, I grew up in Manchester. I'm a dentist. Uh, I've got three brothers uh, and sisters. Uh, I love cabbage and carrots. I hate cake and marmalade. And on and on they talk about themselves. Uh, if at the end of the date uh, you would say, do you know what? I've, I've fallen in love with you. Okay, we're, we're there already. One date, but I've fallen in love. Uh, and they would say, well, Fantastic. Let's meet again. Let, let's talk more. Oh, no, I don't, want to, <laughs> I don't want you to talk. I'm not in love with your words. I'm in love with you. I don't want to hear from you anymore. I mean, let's get married. I love you. Please don't speak. You know there's something pretty weird about that relationship. You can't separate a person from their words. Uh, you cannot separate God from the Bible. Now, it's not that the Bible is divine as if we literally worship the bible but it is the very word of god so we hold it in total reverence what the bible says god says this in fact was jesus view of the bible uh, as jesus preaches every now and again he says some little, little things that, that almost pass you by but are actually staggering so at one point he's speaking about uh, the bible's teaching about marriage and divorce and some people have come to, to question him, you know, what, what's right? Is it okay to divorce and remarry? Is it not? What about in these circumstances? And in Matthew 19, uh, Jesus says, well, well, let me tell you what God said. Okay. Uh, God said, he said, therefore a man shall be united to. And Jesus quotes a little bit of Genesis 2. But if you were to flick up the passage he's quoting, God isn't speaking. It's just the narrator, whoever wrote Genesis 2. Not God, but the narrator. And yet Jesus can say, have you not heard what God said? Because Jesus views the Old Testament as the word of God. 
Or, or sometimes it, we get it the other way around. Paul does this in, in Romans 9. In Romans 9, Paul's remembering the Exodus story. Children, we've just done the Exodus, haven't we? And remember, God says to Pharaoh in the Exodus, uh, God confronts Pharaoh and says, for, for this reason I've raised you up, that I might show, you, show my glory. Okay, this is why I've put you on the throne to oppose me, Pharaoh, to show my glory. And if we read through the book of Exodus, it would be God saying that. And yet when Paul quotes that passage, refers to it, he says, as the scripture says. Not as God says, but as the scripture says. Why? Because they're just interchangeable. So Jesus can say, God said, and we look it up, and it's actually the Bible saying it. Paul can say, the Bible says, and we look it up, and it's actually God saying it. Are they confused? Have they forgotten the Old Testament? No. They are inseparable. The Old Testament and indeed the new are the very word of God. And therefore, they are the voice of the Holy Spirit. There is a great deal of interest, particularly in the 20th century onwards, and pretty much the back end of the 20th century, a sort of emphasis on hearing the voice of the Spirit. Can we hear the Spirit's voice in particular? Now, that is a good thing. The Holy Spirit... Okay, the Holy Spirit is the one we should be listening to. The Holy Spirit is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do you hear his voice? Okay, is his voice separate from, from God the Father's, as if God the Father is speaking in Scripture and the Holy Spirit's, well, his voice is somewhere else? Well, no. All Scripture is God-breathed. That, that, it's, it's a sort of funny word, a made-up word, not used anywhere else. God-breathed is literally God's spirited. The word for breath and spirit are the same. This is the Spirit's voice. If you want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, hear the scriptures, Paul is saying. If you've got a Bible, just turn back with me to, to the book, sorry, on with me, to the book of Hebrews. Okay, I'm sorry, I don't like jumping around too often in sermons, but um, Hebrews 3. Now, we don't know, humanly speaking, who wrote the book of Hebrews, but in Hebrews 3 and verse 7, we're introduced to the Holy Spirit speaking. Hebrews 3, verse 7, we read this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, notice it says, not said, past tense, but says, as the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, right now, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the days of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works of 40 years. What is the Holy Spirit saying? Well, he says, it's obvious he's saying that those words written down there, that's what he's saying. Yes, but those words are from Psalm 95. Uh, written, not as hundreds, but a thousand odd years earlier. Did you see the point? That the writer to Hebrews can say, the Holy Spirit today is saying, still, Psalm 95. In other words, the Bible isn't just what God said, but what God is saying today. It is a present word. It's not just a record of what God said in the past, although it is that. It is also what he's continuing to say today, Old and New Testament. So when God, uh, sorry, when this... Uh, letter tells us that, that, that the Bible is God-breathed. We're, we're not to think that, that Paul's just saying, it's kind of inspired. 
That's quite a popular view of the Bible at the moment. Uh, people say, well, you know, of course the Bible is inspired. What it is, it is lots of people's reflections on their experience of God. And so the Bible is inspired in the same way as perhaps a, a Shakespeare spot sonnet is inspired or a, a beautiful painting is inspired. Okay, we talk about, you know, Michelangelo or whatever being inspired uh, to paint his chapels. And all we mean really is it sort of, it sort of moves us. But the Bible isn't inspired, it's, it's expired, breathed out. Not just some people's thoughts and feelings about God, but God's word to us. And see, that's all scripture, verse 16. All of it, all the writings. The Old Testament, the bits that you don't naturally find very easy. Leviticus is the word of God. Lamentations is the word of God. All those prophets, confusing as they can be, are the very words of God. I think Paul too is, is aware that his own writings are part of scripture. Now, as Paul writes this, we're in the kind of mid to late 60s. Okay, He didn't date the letter, but he gets killed around then. So, you know, he wasn't doing much writing after that. Um, not all the rest of the New Testament has been written. Okay, see, Timothy would not have had his ha- in his hands what, what you have this morning. It would have. Okay, he wouldn't have a completed Bible. Yeah, the book of Revelation wouldn't have been written. It's unlikely Tim- Timothy would have had books like Hebrews uh, or John's letters. But, but we know that Paul is aware that his own writings are forming what comes to be the rest of the New Testament. Uh, So at the end of 1 Timothy, uh, in 1 Timothy 5, uh, Paul quotes the scriptures again. So 1 Timothy 5, uh, he says this, 5 verse 18, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the scripture says, and he quotes, he quotes Deuteronomy. But he goes on. The scripture says... Also, the labourer deserves his wages, 1 Timothy 5.18. Where does the scripture say the labourer deserves his wages? Well, in Luke's gospel. So Paul is referring to Luke's gospel as scripture. But we can go on to the letter of Peter, 2 2 Peter 3.16. So 3.16, so easy to remember. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter says that, that some people twist the scriptures, distort the scriptures. But, but interest, interestingly, yeah, he includes in that Paul's writings. Uh, so Paul, uh, he says, uh, Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, uh, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them, i.e. Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable people twist to their own description, destruction, sorry, as they do the other scriptures. See, Peter says some people twist Paul's words like they do the other scriptures. In other words, Peter thinks of Paul's words as scripture. The New Testament authors knew what they were doing. They're not just some books that some monk in the 5th century chose to staple together and form a Bible. No, they are the very words of God breathed out through these men, but ultimately finding their origin in God alone. A very simple question. Do you treat the Bible like it is God speaking? 
we might think about its authority. We know that we're meant to be people who follow Jesus as King, Jesus Lord. But how does he rule? Well, through the Bible. There's no following Jesus as King if you're not following the Bible as your authority. Uh, children, that means, uh, to pinch someone else's illustration, I hope I can do this without dropping everything. Children, where, where's the Bible meant to be? Okay. Uh, the Bible isn't meant to be under my feet, okay, down here on the floor, as if I'm more important than it. Uh, nor is it meant to be just sort of equal with me, as if the Bible and me are friends, and sometimes we do what I think, and sometimes we do what the Bible thinks. No, the Bible is meant to be above your head, okay? The Bible is meant to be above your head, children, like a, like a king above you, like a crown above you. It is the Bible that tells us what to do, how to live, because it's God who tells us what to do and what to think. Might be worth saying, uh, too, that means that um, it's it's not okay for Christians to disagree with the Bible. Now, I know there are things we find hard, sometimes hard to understand, sometimes hard because they're painful to us, sometimes hard because they're difficult to do. Okay, and that is natural. It's natural because we're all clouded in our thinking, we're all sinful in our hearts. There is no Christian who finds life super easy, who just opens the Bible and can walk through and do it. But just occasionally, you come across people saying things like, well, I I can see what what the Bible is saying, so I'll do it because I have to, but I don't like it. I don't like what God is saying here. I'm not happy with it. It, it. It feels wrong. It's not how I would have done it. God's not being kind as I would have been. God's not as loving as I would have been. So I'll obey because I kind of have to, but it's not good. That, that is not okay. <laughs> that, that means that our attitude still needs reforming. When the Bible and I disagree, one of us is wrong. So rephrase it like this. When God and I disagree, one of us is wrong. It may be not just our practice, but our, our hearts, our, our feelings, as it were, that we need to bring under the authority of Christ. Do you treat the Bible like it is God? Speaking. Is it your authority? Are you listening? Some jokes in preacher circles that every sermon ultimately ends up telling you to read your Bible more. Okay, I hope we don't do that. That would be a travesty of preaching if every sermon ended with, so go and read your Bible again. But we are going to be men, women, children of the Word. Now, there are very few commands, if any, in the Bible for Christians to read the Scriptures. Okay, that surprises some people sometimes. There are very few, if any, commands in the Bible to read the Bible. That is for the very simple reason that most Christians through most of history couldn't read, so God will be commanded impossible, and most Christians through most of history haven't owned Bibles. Okay, so God hasn't commanded the impossible. But what there are are dozens and dozens and hundreds of commands to hear the Scriptures, to meditate on them. In other words, it doesn't matter how day by day, morning by morning, the scriptures come to you. It might be, for many of you, that you actually, you're perfectly capable of reading, you own a Bible, it's in your own language, great, you can read it for yourself, fantastic, what a privilege. It might be that actually that you find yourself confused and struggling, and so the best thing to do is to meditate, bring to mind, think about what was taught on Sunday. Okay, go back to the passage that's already been taught. Hopefully you've got a little bit of clarity, pray over that, mull it over, think how it might change your life, how it leads you to Christ. That's fine too. 
It doesn't matter how the food gets in, whether you cook it yourself, okay, whether mum cooks lunch, whether you order takeaway, doesn't matter. What keeps you alive is eating. So too with the Bible. I don't really care okay, as a minister. I don't really care how you, you get the Bible into you day by day. Great if you can read it. Fantastic. Please don't hear this as a sort of, oh, it doesn't matter if I read the Bible. Great. Great if you just go back to what we've already taught. Great if you've got notes. Great if you've got an audio Bible. doesn't matter how. Just get it in there. It will do you good. A story I remember coming across in Derby, where I was before uh, Leeds, of a young woman called Joan Waste, late teenager. Uh, it was the time of the Reformation. Uh, and at that time, the, the, the Bible was not translated into English. Or, or rather, it was just beginning to creep out into English. And um, jo- Joan Waste came to faith. Okay, she came to believe that the gospel. And because of the circumstances of the time, um, she was put on, on trial. Okay, because she believed that what we would think is that the true biblical gospel, rather than some of the perversions and distortions of the day. It was the church, ironically, put her on trial. Uh, she paid people, because she was blind, this poor blind girl from Derby, she paid someone to come and read her the Bible uh, a penny a week, day by day, as she sat in jail, until eventually she was executed. That's someone who prizes the scriptures. I can't read. But I know these are words of life. So although she was poor as anything, a penny a day, come read the word of God to me. Uh, the scriptures are the spirit's voice. They are spirit spoken. Uh, therefore, secondly, uh, they're spiritually sufficient. Okay, they're spiritually spoken by the Holy Spirit. They're spiritually sufficient. Back at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for a proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scriptures are sufficient. They are all you need to hear from God. Between now and your dying, or Jesus returning, you don't need to hear anything more from God than is in this book. They are, will make the man of God complete, equipped for every good work. It's not the scriptures will get you halfway there and you need some other voice to get you the rest of the work. Then they're complete. Everything you need. It's kind of Swiss army knife. Have Swiss army knife as a kid. Open the little knife up. It's got a blade, but it's got a can opener and a corkscrew. I don't know why a kid needs a corkscrew. Everything you could possibly need in one knife. There's an uh, Australian uh, theologian minister called Peter Adam. He uses the illustration, but what he set a bookshop when he retires. And he says his idea is to set up a, a bookshop, he's from Melbourne, set up a bookshop on the, on the high street, a Christian bookshop in Melbourne. And uh, he'd stock it up, nice window displays, all the rest of it. And someone would come in and, um, I'm not going to try the Aussie accent, someone would come in and say, uh, look, I, I, my kids are a nightmare. I need a Christian book on parenting. And he'd say, I've got the thing from you, just for you. Give them a Bible. Someone else comes in and says, look, I've got a friend, they're not a Christian. They want to know, you know what does it mean to be a Christian? I, I, I want a book that, that's going to just help them get saved. Got just the thing for you? Hands him a Bible. Well, you can see how the illustration goes on. I won't labour the point. Now, Peter Adam has written Christian books. He's not anti-Christian books. Paul in chapter 4 is going to say, above all, Timothy, just bring me my books. Okay? It's not ministers in the 21st century or you've been to the Woods House. Um, it's not, you know, they're not the first people to like Christian books. Paul's just like, bring me a cloak. I'm in prison. I'm going to die, but I really want all, all my Christian books. 
Okay, so I'm not anti-Christian books, but one book is supreme, sufficient. You may never read a book by Luther or Calvin or John Piper or Tim Keller or whoever your hero is. The Bible is sufficient. Uh, that means, too, that, that when someone comes to you and says something like, God told me that, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and by that, they don't mean through the Bible. They mean voice in my head or whatever they might want to call it, a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy, whatever. At the very least, okay, at the very least, you can say to them, okay, but I don't need that word. Now, I don't want this morning really to get too much into the whole debate about prophecy and what goes on and all the rest of it. We we would need more time than we've got. But at the very, very least, if someone comes to you and says, no, you know, it's CU or the workplace, Christian fellowship, whatever it might be. Someone comes to you and says, no, I, I know you've got the Bible, but also God said to me, you do not need to listen because the scriptures are sufficient. Me plight. But you do not need to listen. Everything you need is in this word. It is sufficient. Uh, Interestingly, do you see who is equipped for every good work in verse 17? It's the man of God. Now, that isn't just an expression meaning a person. Nor is it an expression meaning just men and not women. Uh, Man of God is is a Bible phrase, particularly throughout the Old Testament, a little bit in the New uh, man of God is, is the expression used to describe prophets. Okay, so Elijah is a man of God. If you read the Old Testament, you might have come across this phrase. Uh, I think Paul is using it deliberately here. Uh, he's about to charge Timothy to preach this word in season and out. We'll look at that next week. Uh, so by, by saying that the scriptures make the man of God equipped for every good work, what I think he's saying is, look, Timothy, you are frankly just a minister. He's not an apostle. Timothy doesn't get direct words from God. You're not a a prophet. You're not Isaiah or Jeremiah. You're you're just a a normal elder in a church. But actually, when you teach the scriptures, the word of God, you are standing in that prophetic tradition. When Jeremiah or Isaiah preached, they were speaking the very word of God. When you teach the scriptures, Timothy, people are hearing the very word of God. If you want prophecy... In other words, listen to the Bible. It is interesting, at the very least, having said I'm not going to get into it too much, it's interesting at the very least that in the New Testament, prophecy seems to be equated with God's words. All the way through the Old Testament, prophets begin their messages by saying something like, thus says the Lord, and then Jeremiah or whoever it will be makes his prophecy. In the New Testament, the only times we come across prophecy with content, in other words, the only only times we come across um, actual prophecies are in the book of Revelation, where the whole book is described as a prophecy. Revelation is part of the word of God. Uh, Or in the book of Acts, where a prophet called Agabus turns up, Acts 21, and says this, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he prophesies. There were prophets in the New Testament era, like there were apostles, men who could speak the very word of God. But they are dying out, and they have died out, certainly by our era. So Timothy. Timothy is not charged to be a prophet or find prophets. 
Uh, make sure you've got at least one person with the gift of prophecy in your congregation. No, preach the word. That is all you need. And in doing so, you'll be carrying on that prophetic tradition, not because you're a prophet, but because the book you're preaching is prophecy and has everything you need. Everything you need to teach, rebuke, correct, train in righteousness. I notice how some of those things are positive, teaching, training, and some are what you might call negative, rebuking, correcting. John Stott says that the first pair, teaching and reproof, are about correcting how we think, our doctrine. The second pair, correction and training in righteousness, are about changing our, our life, how we act. Again, one positive, one negative in each case. I suppose the question, therefore, is when did this spiritually sufficient word last change how you think or you act? If it hasn't changed you, your thinking or your acting, then either you're already complete, finished, sin-free, perfect, or you're not listening. Judge for yourself. God has put his word in a book so that it might challenge us. It's down there in black and white and it will be uncomfortable at times. But that's what relationships are like, aren't they? A true relationship, a true friend, in fact, doesn't just tell you what you want to hear and agree with you all the time. Okay? No one wants to date a mirror, do they? Or marry a mirror. No, you, 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 you want a relationship, a friendship with someone who will tell you the truth, even if sometimes that's not pleasant. Do I look good in this dress? Are you going to be honest? God is honest with his people. And therefore, the scriptures, they're spiritually spoken, spiritually sufficient, but they're saviour shaped. Just as we close, do you see in verse 15, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures do all this because, well, because they get you to Jesus. Children, do you have pop-up books. We've got pop-up books at home, you know, where you turn the pages and a castle comes up. If it's a fairy tale story or a dragon comes up, you turn the pages and, well, imagine the Bible's like a pop-up book, but off every page pops up Jesus, yeah, the very son of God. Uh, the scriptures display Jesus to us. And they're also shaped, I think, a bit like Jesus. I began by saying, if you've been bored in a, in a sermon, you may have been bored even in the, in the last half hour. Okay, the preachers who you're here, whether at Christchurch or, or elsewhere, if they're preaching the scriptures, they are not going to blow the doors off every week. Okay, I, am, I reckon I'm more aware of that than anybody, I promise you. The, the, the sermons that, that preach scripture, and in fact your own Bible reading, will, will often feel pretty weak, unimpressive, okay, uninspiring. But that is because they're saviour-shaped. Think about Jesus. Okay? Jesus God come to earth. What would you have seen? Okay? You're in a little alien spaceship and you fly over Galilee. What would you have seen? Just a normal-looking guy? Normal-looking Jewish man, average height, weight, shape? Speaking, well, Aramaic, presumably. 
Eventually, you'd have seen him stripped naked, beaten, pinned to a cross. What would you have seen? Another execution, nothing particularly special. Some funny weather patterns. Goes dark, doesn't it? And, but he didn't look impressive. And yet, he is the power of God for salvation. In fact, his crucifixion was the way that God chose to save us. He could have sent hosts of angels to trumpet it. Really could have been, couldn't there? At the crucifixion, at the cross, Gabriel and Michael leading respective choirs, the seraphim, the cherubim, they really could have been there. God could have done it that way, but he chose not to. Instead, he pinned his son to a cross between two everyday criminals. Unimpressive, unspectacular, and yet, by faith, God's way of saving us. You come to Jesus and his death. And that is the place you are forgiven. And that is the place, place you'll find spiritual power, cleansing, healing. It's a place where, where God beckons you today and says, just come. Come to my son's cross and I will totally forgive you. I will welcome you. Bring nothing, empty hands. But come to this ordinary looking execution scene. And so it's no surprise, I think, that the way you learn about that ordinary looking execution scene which itself is the power to transform the whole world, to transform your life, is through a very ordinary-looking book. It sits on the shelf, looks like any other. Here's sermons, less exciting, less slick, certainly, than TED Talks or Churchillian speeches. But that is because that is how God chooses to work, through weakness, in order that, although we look weak, his power is shown. Is the Bible boring? Are sermons boring? To human eyes, yes, certainly. But to God, they are the power. They contain the power for salvation, for discipleship, for everything you need to get you safely home. The power is not in your love for the Bible and the scriptures. The power is not in the feeling you get when you read the Bible morning by morning. Sometimes you'll get very little feeling. The power is not in the the brilliance of your understanding of the Bible or the sermons or whatever it might be, but the power is from God through his word. So just get to it. Whether you feel hungry or not, feed, and he will correct, rebuke, train you, encourage you, feed you. Ultimately, he will meet you in those scriptures. Let's pray. We are a church, a people of the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you are a speaking God. Without uh, your word, we will be lost and stumbling around in the darkness. We're so sorry for how lightly we treat it, uh, for how quickly we look through human eyes, become bored, distracted, uh, how slow we are to understand. Uh, we pray in your mercy that you would make us men and women who love your word, who hear our Saviour's voice, uh, who see in it Christ crucified and raised to glory for our salvation. Give us ears, therefore, to hear. Sow your word, Lord Jesus, and bear fruit in all our lives. Pray for the children here. They would grow up in their earliest days with his living word implanted in their hearts. Bless us, we pray. For we ask in our Saviour's name. Amen.